0: And welcome to the Select Sector Spider Sector Digest podcast for the week of October 9th, 2023. I'm your host, Paul Baiocchi, ready to dig into all things sectors for the week ahead and look back at the week that was. And when you look at the top line performance, S&P 500 up 48 basis points or 0.48% for the week, now up 12.22% for the year you probably say to yourself, oh, a decent week in the market, and that is the case. Anytime you clip 50 basis points or so in a week, that's a positive annualized return, of course, but when you look at the market internals at the sector level, it wasn't all that comprehensive a rally. In fact, you had eight of the 11 gig sectors down for the week, and the three sectors that were up for the week, healthcare, technology, and communication services, were really the sectors responsible for the bulk of the heavy lifting. In fact, technology up 2.62%, so outperforming the S&P 500 this week by more than 200 basis points. XLC up 2.04%, communication services outperforming the S&P by 150 basis points and technology up just shy of a percent. So when you think about the weightings in the S&P 500, Obviously, um, a move like that in tech for the week, 2.62 percent, is going to drag the market higher. But what we saw in some of the other key sectors was the weakness wasn't as dramatic as perhaps some of the smaller sectors in the market and therefore allowed the S&P 500 to eke out a gain. You had – Communication services, as I mentioned, up 2%, but you had discretionary down 23 basis points, industrials down 60 basis points, financials down 40 basis points. So really the story from a weakness perspective was staples, energy, and utilities. And the utility sector, man, has been a really tough sledding over the course of the past few weeks. And year to date, it's been a really weak sector, real estate down another one and a half percent. This week as well, another sector that's had a really tough go of it here in 2023, and the the utility story is, is largely owed to the extreme weakness we've seen in the biggest stock in the sector. The energy story down 5.2% or so for the week really captured a lot of the headlines, and we saw this massive correction in WTI. I mean we went from $90 a barrel or so on WTI down to the low 80s in a couple days of trading, and – You try and attribute it. You had this pretty meaningful violent move in rates higher on the 10 year, on the 20 year, on the 30 year. And you also now have these concerns bubbling up around recession. Once again, the R word. And as we talked about over the course of the past couple of months, it seems like a lot of people threw their hands up on the recession call and the market is starting to. Tiptoe around the idea that perhaps it might be back on the table and there's things to blame that are new dynamics. The uncertainty in Washington as a result of the potential shutdown, of course, the geopolitical instability here in the United States and now globally over the weekend with war breaking out another war, I should say, breaking out in the Middle East between Hamas and Israel. And then even before that news hit, you also had these labor strikes. And as we talked about our investment committee on Thursday, the amount of people represented by either the Kaiser strike or even the UAW strike is pretty minimal. The reality is, is that these just aren't meaningful footprints in the overall employment picture in the United States. But, and this is a big but, the question is, is does it cascade into Perhaps other non-union segments of the market and have a real impact on prices, specifically through increasing wages and the inflationary backdrop. Now getting back to the week, we had some mixed economic data. Once again, that seems to be the story here in 2023. U.S. manufacturing PMI actually better than expected at 49.8 versus 48.9. Still technically recessionary, but right on the verge of being expansionary. You had ISM manufacturing, also better than expected. So an improving outlook for manufacturing when you look at it from a texture perspective. You had ISM services with a slightness, but again, that is an expansionary territory. But from the services PMI print, which I think is really interesting, there was some language in there that I like to pull. The final PMI data for September add to indications that the U.S. economy has started to cool again after a resurgence of growth earlier in the summer. Inflationary pressures in the services sector, meanwhile, remain uncomfortably sticky. Pretty specific language, sticky. As it relates to inflation, something we've talked about quite a bit. It continued. The biggest change in recent months has been the waning in demand for consumer services such as travel, tourism and recreation, along with a slump in financial services activity. Now, that last part is attributable to a rise in rates, increasing borrowing costs and, of course, tightening lending standards. That makes sense. The other piece also makes sense when you think about it seasonally. All that spending on tourism, recreation, travel, et cetera, et cetera, that took place in the summer tends to slow as you get into fall and people are back in school and the sort of normal economic activity resumes, but – you seasonally adjust this and services PMI respondents are all attributing this to what seems like a consumer that at the very least is facing new challenging economic dynamics. You look at credit card delinquencies, you look at the rate of increase for credit card spending, the rate of savings or the amount of savings, all those things are, are pointing in the wrong direction, at least from a growth perspective, not to say that tips us into a recession, but just more color for these services prints that we got this week. And then finally, another piece in the financial services sector, financial conditions are tightening and uncertainty about the outlook is subduing confidence. Both sectors are now reporting falling activity levels, taking away A major source of support to the wider economy's expansion. Again, no surprise there. Tightening lending standards, higher borrowing costs, increasing interest rates, an uncertain outlook for the trajectory of interest rates, all of those things are in a vacuum net negative for financial services businesses, at least historically. Then – On Friday, we got this blowout payrolls number, 336,000 jobs versus 170,000 expected. That's a multi-sigma beat, a multi-standard deviation beat on payrolls, which I think is the last piece of this economic puzzle that remains so confusing. You can make a case for why that Stuff we laid out in the services print makes logical sense economically. You can lay out why perhaps the market has been as strong as it has and why GDP growth has been as robust as it has, snapback and consumer spending, etc. But from a employment perspective, these payrolls numbers are just absolutely putting a lot of people – in a very difficult position when trying to position in this market because it's saying that the economy is very strong. People are getting hired. Construction jobs remain at all-time highs. But the flip side of all of that is that it puts upward pressure on prices as wages continue to lurch higher and ultimately that is the push-pull of this economic backdrop and what the Fed is attempting to do that we continue to talk about. On the volume front, this was a remarkably active week, 974 million shares traded across the select sector spider lineup this week alone, which is perhaps double what we see in some softer weeks. So that's a lot of action for a market that saw so many sectors down and eked out again, but ultimately instructive as we think about heading into October a month that has started off fairly weak, what the market action is going to look like. And with the VIX pumping a little bit this week, there's a lot that people are trying to grapple with, advisors are trying to grapple with as we head into Q4 and into 2024. Now, from a flows perspective, 13.5 million created. So net creates this week. Four million shares came out of XLI, Three. million shares or so came out of XLE. Now, the flip side is is we saw nearly 14 million shares created in XLU, which is a bit surprising considering the weak performance we've seen. But of course, there are a number of investor types who invest in the select sector spiders. And perhaps someone put on a big contrarian trade in utilities, which has been, if not the weakest, one of the weakest sectors here in 2023, 10 million shares created in XLC, but I will say that we saw a big redeem on Friday, so we'll see how long that money lasts in the communication services select sector spider. Now, the sector in focus this week is technology, and it's a nice time to talk about it, of course, because it had a, a really strong week, and it's a sector that is always at the tip of investors' tongues. But as we try and take stock of 2023, what's been going on in the market and what to expect into the year end and into 2024, Technology has to be a sector you start with because although it now lags communication services for number 2, so second best performing sector so far in 2023 given up a little bit of gains but once you get beyond the valuation story it's the fundamental backdrop for technology that makes it really interesting for so many investors. In fact, you look at relative leverage, 1.4 net debt to EBITDA versus more than two for the S&P 500. You look at dividend growth over the past five years, technology not a sector you typically associate with dividend growth. It's been about the same as the S&P 500 over that period of time, and yet you're getting an ROE of 26 this year, 17 for the S&P 500, significantly higher once again and if you compound that over the course of the past five years, the ROE growth rate for the technology sector is just so much higher than any sector in the market and more broadly the S&P 500. So On the one hand, you're saying this is a sector that from a valuation perspective, screens is much higher or potentially more expensive than the market. Flip side is, as you look at internally, sector without a lot of leverage, a sector generating tremendous returns on its asset base, on its equity. And those are the characteristics that you typically associate with the quality factor. And as such, you think about the backdrop and what – You hear analysts talking about as it relates to this market context, this market environment, what you need to do, how you need to position. The term quality comes up time and time again. Focus on quality companies generating strong free cash flows without a tremendous amount of exposure to this rising interest rate environment. Well, if you think about technology and what we just laid out, strong return on assets, strong ROE, low leverage on a relative basis and – all of those characteristics in technology are, at least from a valuation perspective, something that the market has been, been willing to pay a premium for. Now, if you look at a quality factor more broadly, so a more diversified version of the quality portfolio, it actually doesn't trade at a premium to the market from a relative valuation perspective. So technology is so unique, it's a sector everyone's focused on, and those contrasting characteristics, high quality from a factor perspective and high growth from a valuation perspective, make it a sector that is unlike any other sector. Communication services, for example, which is besting it year to date, actually screens as much more reasonable on a relative valuation basis or much more close to the market. And technology, on the other hand, screens as much more expensive on a relative valuation basis. And yet, the high quality characteristics of the companies and technology seem to be what the market is focused on. So with that, let's look ahead to next week. And this is where we kick off earnings season. So a lot of companies at the end of the week, we've got Wells, BlackRock, JP Morgan, Citigroup. So we're going to hear from some of these big financial companies. And of course the market's going to be waiting with bated breath to hear not just what their performance has been, but what their outlook is and You look at credit loss provisions, loan loss provisions. Those are the types of indications about the financial services sector that might reflect what we heard from those surveys, services, PMIs, and the like. On the economic data front, we also get CPI and PPI this week. So this is a meaty week of economic and earnings data. We also get consumer sentiment and Fed Minutes. So there's a lot for the market to digest this week. Given the massive amount of volume we saw last week, clearly there was a lot of repositioning going into this week of economic data in the beginning of earnings season. And there's going to be a lot to talk about next weekend, which I look forward to doing. So thank you once again for listening. My name is Paul Baiocchi, Chief ETF Strategist at SSNC and c Alps Advisors. For those of you who are interested in more content on sectors, research content and the like, please go to sectorspiders.com. And as always, have a great week.